Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary, whether you're here in the worship center or all of you over in the chapel or anyone watching online somewhere else in the world. We're so, so grateful that you've taken this time to be with us. You know, life is full of questions, right? We have all sorts of different questions as we walk through our lives. And I wrote down a few that I still wonder about. So one is, why is it called a TV set when you only get one? Another, what do sheep count when they can't sleep? If a cow laughs really hard, will milk come out of its nose? If a turtle doesn't have a shell, is it homeless or is it naked? If the number two pencil is the most popular pencil, why is it still called the number two pencil? Maybe you have some other questions like that that you still wonder about. Well, today we're kicking off a new sermon series called Asking for a Friend. And in August, we put out a request on all of our social media channels and in some different ways, just asking what your biggest questions of faith are. And we had many, many people who submitted all sorts of different questions about faith, about belief, about Christianity, and about other religions. And so you have helped craft this series that we're kicking off today. Now, I think sometimes as Christians, we might feel a little bit awkward about admitting the questions that we have. We might feel like we need to have all the answers and that if we voice our questions, people might question our faith and our devotion to God. Or maybe you grew up in a faith tradition that kind of just told you, just believe. Don't ask too many questions, just believe what we tell you. Or maybe you don't even know what to ask specifically, and you just want to explore and learn more about Jesus. And so what I want you to know today is that at this church, but also in Christianity in general, This is not a place where you have to check your brain at the door or where you have to be self-conscious about your questions. You see, God is perfectly fine with your questions and your doubts and your varying emotions along the way. And we see it all throughout scripture that some of the pinnacles of faith ask some really big, stark questions. In fact, 10 of the Psalms begin with a question directly questioning God and his decision-making and his character. And so whether the questions you have are for you or they're for a friend or a family member that you have, I wanna encourage you to keep on asking, to keep on pressing in. Now, we also have an incredible opportunity at both of our campuses, starting on September 27th. Both campuses will be offering the Alpha course. And many of you are familiar with the Alpha course, but if you're not, I think it is the very best place to go and to ask questions, to explore answers, and to dig in to Christianity as a whole. And even if you've been through Alpha before, years ago, it might be a great refresher for you. And again, it starts September 27th, and it's a great opportunity to sit around a table and to ask those big questions 
of faith and to learn more about Jesus. It's also a great thing to invite your friends and your neighbors and your family members to. You can go to calvary.org to get signed up for Alpha. Now, Jesus said a lot of provocative and controversial things throughout his life. He said things like, pray for your enemies, which no one would have ever done. He said, turn the other cheek. No one wants to do that. He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But I think by far the most controversial statement that Jesus ever made comes in John chapter 14, verse six. And this is what he says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now, as you look at that verse, what I want you to notice is there are no asterisks. There are no footnotes. Now, it says the way, not a way. It says the truth, not a truth. It says no one, not just some. It's a very stark statement that Jesus makes. And this one verse brings out a lot of emotions in people. Some people find incredible comfort. And you might be thinking, amen. It's exactly what I believe. But for many others, it's a really hard verse to come to terms with. Some people get offended by it. You know, it sounds narrow-minded and exclusivist and arrogant. There's some people here, maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe, but when you hear something like that, it just rubs you the wrong way. Because we live in a culture that celebrates choices and diversity and lots of different opinions. And so for some people, these words that Jesus speaks are maybe the biggest barrier to them coming to faith. And so today, I want to dig into a question that many people asked. And it's this, is Jesus really the only way to salvation? Have you ever wondered that before? Have you ever had somebody ask you that before? Well, I wanna address some of the biggest objections to these words of Jesus. Three different objections that go right along with this question. Number one, aren't all religions really the same? Number two, is Christianity just too arrogant and narrow-minded? And number three, what about all the people who simply haven't heard the gospel? So lots and lots of people today, deep down, believe all religions are essentially the same. You know, there might be some small differences, maybe some different practices of worship, but when it comes down to it, I mean, isn't it really just the same God, the same destination everyone's aiming for, and the same goals? Sometimes it's described like everybody's climbing the same mountain. There are just different paths to get to the summit. Now, of course, there are some things that many religions have in common. Morals, maybe the concept of loving others, even the benefits of serving others. But there are also some very, very significant differences that cannot be ignored. And if Jesus said, like he said, that he is the way to God, well then essentially he's saying 
no other path is possible. Now, I think it's a trendy thing today to say, well, Jesus was just another great historical figure. You know, a great religious leader among many others. But Jesus is, in fact, unique in numerous ways. But one of the clearest ways we see this is how he spoke about himself. So there are many other religious leaders who say things like, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders have said, follow me and I will show you the way to salvation. But Jesus simply said, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to become enlightened. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus didn't come to just be a spiritual guide or guru. He came to be our savior and our Lord. Now, a great thing that we celebrate in Christianity is that God has revealed himself in Jesus. And so we don't need to keep on searching or wandering or wondering. Now, there's a famous parable that Jesus told in the gospels, but it's also told in other religions. Specifically, it's told in ancient Buddhist literature. Both stories involve sons who were rebellious and left home to be on their own. And they lived it up and they partied all the time and they gambled their money away until they were broke. And finally, later, they realized that they had made a huge mistake. And so they returned home to be reconciled with their family. But here's the thing, the ending of these stories illustrates the core difference between Christianity and other religions. In the Buddhist story, the son is required to work off his penalty for all of his mistakes through all the years and years of this debt that he had racked up against his father and his family. He had to pay off every cent. But in Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, the son is gracefully welcomed home by a loving father who gives him forgiveness and grace and completely cancels his debt. Many years ago, there was a conference held in Britain on comparative religions. So there were scholars and theologians from all over the world. And one evening, they sat around in a living room and they had this debate. And the question they were debating was, is there really anything unique at all about Christianity? And so someone tried to suggest, well, maybe it's the incarnation that God came to earth in the form of a human. But there are other religions who have stories of incarnation. And so someone else said, well, what about the resurrection? And right away, someone countered and said, well, there are other religions that have the idea of someone coming back from the dead. Well, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room then. And you might be familiar with C.S. Lewis as the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all the Chronicles of Narnia. He was a great thinker and scholar. And he said, what are you guys discussing? And when they explained the question, he said, that is easy. The answer is grace. Grace 
is what makes Christianity unique. Other religions are based on people trying to earn favor with God. They say things like you need to follow certain pillars or follow an eightfold path or go on pilgrimages, or follow these steps, or give stuff away, or perform an unspecified number of good deeds, or go through a cycle of karma and reincarnation as an attempt to finally earn God's approval. But you see, Jesus is God reaching out to us with unconditional love and unmerited favor. And Jesus taught the exact opposite of what those other religions teach. He told us no one can earn their way to heaven. Absolutely no one. So stop even trying to do it. You see, grace doesn't depend on you. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about doing better or doing more. Grace interrupts our thinking and says there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less than he already does. Now, the truth is we are all guilty of sinning against God, failing the way that he wants us to live. And deep down, we all know this to be true about ourselves. We all know that we fall short every day. Now, Jesus said those sins separate us from God because he is holy and he's perfect. And we all know how this feels, right? To be separate or to be distant from God. Because God is holy and he's perfect, our sins against him have to be accounted for. And so in love, Jesus voluntarily gave his own life to be our substitute, to pay our penalty. And when we receive his free gift of grace, well, then we are reunited with God forever. That's the good news. Now, perhaps you've heard it said before that other religions are spelled D-O. But Christianity is not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Because Jesus took care of it all on the cross. In the end, the key difference between Christianity and other religions is this. While other religious figures and leaders can offer wisdom and advice and insight and inspiration, only Jesus, the perfect son of God, is qualified to pay our penalty for our sins. There's no other religious leader in history who has ever claimed to be able to do that. R.C. Sproul, who's a theologian, says, Moses could meditate on the law. Mohammed could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer great sayings. But none of these men were qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone was qualified. Here's what the Apostle Paul says In 2 Corinthians, he says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
Now, another big objection to Jesus's words that he is the way, the truth, and the life is that it is just much too arrogant and narrow-minded. And that might be true if there were numerous paths to God. If Christianity was simply saying ours is better than the rest. But as we just talked about, Jesus is the only person in history who is qualified to be our substitute. And so Lee Strobel tells a story. He says, a few years ago, some friends baby girl developed jaundice, which is a disorder of the liver that caused her skin to turn yellow and the whites of her eyes to turn yellow. So they brought the child to see her doctor and the doctor explained that it could be a potentially devastating disease. But fortunately, it's really easily cured. He said all they needed to do is put their baby under a special light that somehow stimulates the functioning of her liver Now, the parents could have listened to the doctor and said, well, that sounds way too easy. Just put her under a light. How about instead we just scrub her with soap and water and then dip her in some bleach? If we work hard enough, I'm sure we could get her normal coloring back. And the doctor would have looked at them with shock and said, no, you don't understand. There is just one way to cure your daughter. Well, they could have replied, well, how about we just ignore this and pretend that everything's okay? You know, jaundice is your truth. It's not our truth. If we sincerely believe that things are going to turn out for the best in the long run, they will. The doctor would have replied, look, you're going to jeopardize the life of your child if you do that. There is only one way to cure her. Now, you're hesitant to pursue it because it sounds too easy, but look at my credentials on the wall. I mean, I've studied at medical school. I've used what I've learned to treat and cure countless babies. You need to trust me in this. So would anybody accuse those parents of being narrow-minded if they chose to trust the doctor? A doctor with credentials and experience. And if they pursued the only course of treatment guaranteed to cure their little girl. Of course not, right? It's not being narrow-minded, it's being rational. It's acting in accordance with all of the evidence. Again, every person here has a terminal disease called sin. And no matter how much soap and water or bleach or wise words or advice we try to use, it won't work. We can hope and we can wish that there were some other way, but it doesn't change the truth. The truth is that the great physician, Jesus, offers us a treatment that erases the stain of our sin. And he has the credentials and the expertise to back it all up. He conquered sin and death on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And so when we turn to him for a help and a cure, it's not being narrow-minded. It's not being arrogant. We're acting rationally in accordance with all of the evidence. Now, there's one more question that often comes up or one more objection when we have this conversation around Jesus being the way to salvation. And that's, what about those who haven't heard 
about Jesus or the way it's often posed is what about that person who lives on a desert island somewhere in the ocean who has never had the chance to hear about Jesus? Well, Paul actually talks about this in Romans chapter one. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. What this is called is general revelation, that God in his grace and his love reveals himself to everyone through creation, through what he has done in the world, through his ongoing presence in people's lives. Now his specific revelation is Jesus and oftentimes someone needs to tell about him. But there is a general revelation that can be apparent to every person in the world. Now the amazing thing is as missionaries have traveled the world and found distant tribes, they often have found what's called a redemptive analogy that in almost every culture of people, there is already a narrative or a story that's told about redemption that is available. One of the most powerful stories of this that I've heard was about two missionaries, the Richardsons, who many years ago went to New Guinea in the 1960s, and they were called to minister to the Sawi people, who are known to be some of the most inhospitable and some of the most cruel people on earth because they are headhunters and cannibals. But they ended up living amongst the Sawi people for many years and they learned their language and their customs. And eventually they were able to start to share the gospel with them. But here was the huge problem. The character in the story that the tribe identified with most was Judas because they highly prized treachery and betrayal and ruthlessness. So they celebrated Judas. They thought Jesus was a weakling. But eventually the Richardsons learned about a tribal practice that was called the peace child. And when they were at war with another tribe, to end the war, what the tribes would do is they would exchange young children. They would give one of theirs to the other tribe and the tribe would give one of theirs and it was called the peace child. And the idea was if the other tribe would raise this child as their own and protect it, well, then there was no more need to be at war. And so the Richardsons told the Sawi people that God sent Jesus to be our peace child that he was sent into our world so that we can have peace with God once and for all. And because of him, we can have hope and new life. And it changed everything. You see, God was preparing the people to hear the good news of the gospel. He's at work revealing himself to all the people of the world. We have to remember God is the creator of all things and all people, and he cares about each and every person. And so we also need to remember that we can trust God's character 
completely. He is going to work all things out in the very best way possible. So what does this all mean for you? Well, some of you have been holding back from putting your faith in Jesus because you want all of your questions answered first. Well, here's the thing. We're always gonna have questions and God is cool with that. Questions don't need to hold you back from taking a step of faith. Now it's like high diving or rock climbing or any other activity. You can study it. You can read up on it. You can watch YouTube videos. But until you actually try it for yourself, you'll never understand it. Eventually, you have to jump or you have to start climbing. Don't let your questions hold you back from taking a step of faith. Now, some of you have been holding back because you don't want to be perceived by others as being narrow-minded or intolerant. And what I want you to remember is that Jesus doesn't call us to be argumentative or to be arrogant or to be confrontative. Instead, he calls us to love others first. And in doing so, we'll actually point people back to him. Remember, Jesus loves and calls all people regardless of their story. Now, some of you are holding back because you don't want to believe that many people, many friends, many family members, eternal destinies hang in the balance. It just doesn't seem nice. It doesn't seem fair. But remember, God in his grace showed us the way back home. And he sent Jesus to do all the hard work. And he offers us a free gift despite anything we do. And it's such good news. We get to share it with others. And so my encouragement is to take a leap of faith. Put your trust in Jesus. Know that he loves you and he's waiting for you. Now, Peter, one of the disciples, he had his own share of questions and doubts and struggles. And he had to take a big leap to follow Jesus. And when he did, he experienced the power of the Spirit in his life. And he got up one day in front of a huge crowd of skeptical people with all of their own questions. And this is what he said to them in Acts chapter 4. He said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, those of you who have already reached out to the great physician to be cured and to be healed. Well, what's next for you? Well, you know the way. And so share it with others. More and more people need to hear the good news, but always do so in love and with grace. And be confident as you do so, because the Holy Spirit is with you. Now we have another great class opportunity here at the Golden Valley campus, starting on the 27th. We have a class called Jesus in the Secular World. It's gonna be put on by a group called Steiger International, which is a evangelistic group that reaches young people in all of the major cities around the world. 
And what they specifically focus on is how do we reach people who will never step foot in a church? How can we better have conversations? How can we better build relationships? And we're gonna be blessed next week to have a representative from Steiger here to share the message. So what is God calling you to do? What's your next step of faith? You can trust him because he cares about you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you don't call us to just go wander and try to figure things out on our own. But instead, you show us the way. You've given us Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us to embrace that incredible truth. And God, help us not to keep it to ourselves. Help us to share it with every person we meet, but help us to do so with love and with grace and with openness and understanding. God, help us to take our next step today that you're calling us to take. Help us to follow you and to be formed into your image. So God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's say together, amen.